Elliptigo and Roll Recovery are giving away a $3,500 Train Like the Pros prize pack. Now's your chance to try to win. Look, most of you can't run as fast as the pros, but you can train with them. And the pros are using Elliptigo and Roll Recovery. Link to the giveaway in the show notes. Elliptigo is one of the most preferred cross-training methods for runners because it's low impact and very specific to that running motion. There's now indoor Elliptigos. There's a reason hundreds of pro runners use this. Colleges are using it. High schools are using it now. Molly Seidel, Mevka Flesky, Emily Sisson, Jared Ward, Sarah Hall, Alephine Tulemuk, Molly Huddle, Shadrach Biwat, Jordan Desai, many more all use Elliptigo. Tons of recreational runners use Elliptigo too. Now's your chance to win an Elliptigo 8C with the Elliptigo and Roll Recovery giveaway. Roll Recovery. Hey, people. It was started by Adriana Nelson and her husband, Jeff. Adriana came within seconds of winning the Chicago Marathon. It was designed to help you recover when you can't go get that professional massage. Hopefully by now you have a roll recovery roller. But roll recovery now has the R1 percussion device to take your recovery to the next level. Check it all out now in the giveaway. Link in the show notes. Recover better, stay healthy, run faster. Thanks for listening in advance. Remember, join the Supporters Club if you want a second podcast every week. Thanks to all Supporters Club members. We were the only American media at the London Marathon this year. Our Chicago preview podcast will be out Friday. Here's a regular pod. Hello everyone, welcome to the Let'sRun.com Track Talk podcast for this week. The 2022 TCS London Marathon is in the books. We saw wins by Yalimzov Yahola, Y Squared, and Amos Kiprudo, as well as unbelievable splits, like literally unbelievable in one instance. Uh, we will get to that in a minute. Kenny Spikele also set a Masters world record of 205.53 at age 40. We'll break down his performance and a whole lot more. The World Marathon Majors has slashed its prize money by 69% and we're not happy about it. We're going to dig into that, what it means for the future of the World Marathon Majors. Stateside, Fiona O'Keefe and Hilary Bohr are your US 10-mile champions and Caitlin Tui put on a show in her first race of the NCAA cross-country season with a dominant course record win at the Joe Piani Invitational at Notre Dame. The Chicago Marathon is this upcoming weekend, and the Connor Mance and Emily Sisson hype trains are getting ready to leave the station. We'll talk a little bit about that before we get our full preview on the Friday 15 later this week. Plus, breaking news this morning, one of the darkest stories in recent years in track and field, David Woods of the Indy Star has written a piece on a culture of doping and sex at NAIA Huntington University in Indiana, a scandal that's been described as Larry Nasser, Jerry Sandusky, and Alberto Salazar all rolled into one. Ugly stuff. This is Jonathan Galt, your co-host, along with Robin and Weldon Johnson, the fine founders of Let's Run.com. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Great to be here. 
And if you're a listener and want to join the show, give us a call. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, you can pick up the phone and reach us. 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. Also, join the supporters club, let'srun.com. So I subscribe to get our bonus podcast on Friday. I will be breaking down Chicago in great detail, but the big one. I've called it the Super Bowl of marathons, but I think it's really the Wimbledon of marathons. London was last weekend. John, you got to return to your birth country. Glad to see you back. Did you have a good trip? I know your soccer team blew a two-goal lead, but I don't know. Like They ended up tying. That's kind of like kissing your sister in American sports, but apparently in British sports, it's fine. I'm, I'm not sure. How are you doing, John? How was your trip? It was good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Nice to be back at the London Marathon for the first time since 2019. Races. I enjoyed the races. Some pretty crazy splits at the end, like we said in the intro. One of them a little too crazy. Yalmzuf Yahalor. I think it's Yahalor is how you say her last name. I've been saying Yahalor. We need to learn how to say Weisswed's name because she's going to be a star in this sport for a number of years, I believe. But yeah, that was fun to watch. Perfect weather day, honestly. If you're out spectating in the London Marathon, just a glorious Sunday afternoon in London. And yeah, I did pop up to Liverpool on Saturday to watch my beloved Brighton and Hove Albion blow a 2-0 lead. But you know what? We tied 3-3. It was a fantastic game. Atmosphere in the away section was off the charts. Leandro Trossard scored the first hat-trick ever by a Brighton player in the Premier League. I got to see that. So, well worth the trip. And yeah, got to speak to some of the elites in London at the marathon as well. So all in all, really enjoyed it. Thanks for sending me, guys. John, I hope you made some money with the rail strike. I mean, you had a car. Could have charged a bunch of Brighton people a lot of money to get up there. I should have. I rented a car. So I, I mean, I ended up... And the gas, oh my God, the gas to get up and back was like... It was $71 to fill my tank. And this was not like a huge car I was renting. So it was even more expensive in England than it is in the U.S., so I guess it's not all Joe Biden's fault. Guess not, Robert. A few points of order, housekeeping things before we get to these races, because I did not see the London Marathon. I read the recaps, but I think we probably overestimate how many people are waking up at 4 a.m., depending on where, where you are, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., to actually watch this race. But were the, the only member of the U.S. media there, or was David Monty there? No, David Monty wasn't. There was an NBC sports guy there uh, doing interviews afterwards. He told me he was already based in London. So, you know, they didn't send him over specifically. But yes, I was the only American who came over specifically to cover the race, I believe. And supporters club members, thank you for your support. This makes some of this journalism possible. On the Friday 15, we played some clips. John had a one-on-one with Kinesi Bekele before the race. It was great, but... We want to hear, where should John go next? We threw it open. Is Valencia now essentially a major? Should John go to Valencia in December? I vote yes. I don't know if my input has any sway, but that would be fun. Should the CEO of Let's Run, I disappointed myself CEO, go to Let's Run at Valencia instead. Maybe I should go. Winter has already come to Connecticut. The wonderful, great state of Connecticut trying to raise the profile of Connecticut, but it's already cloudy, a little dreary. It's only like October, what, 4th? So I'll be escaping this winter for sure. 
Well, the funny thing is, well, then at the press conferences, I mean, not, we're going to talk about the actual race, but I found it interesting. They had the press conferences out in Windsor, which is a suburb, and almost none of the British media shows up, showed up. And normally they have the press conferences down by Tower Bridge in central London. And most of them would show up, do interviews. You know, they bring a lot of the elites. But I think there was two things. One, being in the suburb, it's a little harder for people to get in from the city. And two, we had all these withdrawals. It was kind of a bummer. Like, even though the results, the, the start list, you still had records for most sub-204 men in a race and most sub-219 women in a race. Sub-219 or sub- I think it was sub-219. We had Bridget Cosguy withdraw, Mo Farah withdrew, Tamarat Tola withdrew, Ailish McColgan. I mean... It was just, it was a little of a bit of a bummer talking to some of the people about who wasn't there. It was still stats fields, but no Kipchoge, not quite John, as as usual. Please. This was a record deep field. And this is part of the problem is, and we can get into the, the sports struggling for popularity, but there weren't any any w- British athletes. Mo Farah and Eilish McColgan both weren't there. But Tamara Toa, what do you mean? He went through in August. So... Well, Vincent Kipchumber as well, runner up the last two years. I mean, he's not a super, but like Mo Farah, you can't deny that Mo Farah being in this race would have drawn a lot more eyeballs in the UK. In the UK, for sure. And Jerry Longman of the New York Times, he did a piece on Mo Farah, but it got published after he withdrew. withdrew. Yours truly quoted in it. So I was obviously disappointed that the piece didn't get more profile coverage in times but yeah john robert you're right the british press the reason they weren't in windsor was solely because mo Farrell wasn't there not because of tamara toa or even no offense to bridget coast guy but all right let's get to the action i didn't see which race we want to start with i think we start with the women because that is the Bigger takeaway for me is this is the arrival. We already knew Yalom Zofia Hollow, but she debuts with a 217.23 in Hamburg. She's run 63.51 for the half and 29.14 for 10K on the roads. We knew this was a humongous talent, but now it's very clear like she's a total marathon star, one of the best in the world. She, no, she did not run mile 24 and 443. We That was the original split reported by London, but we had Helmut Winter, who is an ace course measurer, helped design the pace timing system for world record attempts in Berlin through the years. He knows a lot about measuring marathons. He reached out to us and told us, I think these mile marks were off. It's actually more like a 459. Still, Jalanzov Yaholo breaks away from Jocelyn Jepkowski, the defending champion, to win in 217.26. She's now won... Both of her two marathon starts, both of them in sub 217.30. This woman can't miss this year. I mean, she's been absolutely terrific, and I'm kind of interested where you guys have her. We have a couple, we have a golden age right now of women's marathoning with the world record holder, Bridget Cosguy, with Perez Jepchirchir, who just never loses marathons. And now we've got Yamza Fihalo, the youngest woman ever to win the London Marathon at age 23. So what do you guys think of her performance? Where does she rank now among the best marathoners in the world? I think she's my number two right now. I got to go with Jip Churchier first because 
she's won bigger races. I mean, there's no bigger race than London, but that's her first major win. Hanover was the other one. Is that the other one? Hamburg. Hamburg. But fast, super fast time there. That's the crazy thing. Hamburg is fast now. Seoul is fast now. I expect wanted to be fast. And she's my number two, Coast Guy three. That's where I go with the rankings. I think I'd put a healthy Bridget Cosguy ahead of her. I mean, did we forget Bridget Cosguy ran 216.02 in Tokyo earlier this year? She was second at the Olympics last year. She wasn't come 100%. I think a healthy Cosguy maybe beats Jep Chirchia. Jep Chirchia has to be number one just because look at the races she's won. 2020 Valencia, 2021 Olympics, 2021 New York, 2022 Boston. She's won five straight if you count Satama back in 2019. But until she loses, she's the number one. I have a healthy cause guy too. And then I think Yahalo, probably, I guess Yahalo number three. But then what about Tegas to Sefa, who just run 213, sorry, 215.37 to win Berlin? She has to be up there as well. I know it's just one time, but it's the third fastest time in history. So maybe she's number two or number three. I don't know. It's kind of hard. Why do you figure her in? And you guys are forgetting somebody, Ruth Chep and Gedich. The problem is these people rarely face each other. But Chep and Gedich, okay, fine. I mean, she she didn't do. She was a DNF in the Olympics, but then since then she wins Chicago, Middle East. Can you imagine two twenty two one? And that shouldn't even count as a major. Two twenty two last year in Chicago. Then she wins Nagoya two seventeen eighteen. Drops out of Worlds, so but maybe she didn't care. If she wins Chicago again this weekend. 217. I mean, so she'll have won three majors. I guess Nagoya technically wasn't a major, but I don't know. There's a lot of women, four or five of them, that are really good. And if they're at different marathons in the, in the different seasons, it's hard to say who's the best. And what I'm kind of hoping for is London does its traditional greatest marathon field ever assembled thing. And in April, we just get all of them running there to duke it out because. That's what excites me is getting all of these women in one race and really just crowning, okay, this is the best person. I guess we do have the Olympics for that, but you know, we don't know if what kind of form these women are going to be, but in 2024, you're only limited to three athletes per country. Like London has the money to maybe to get this done and get them all together in one race next season. With some reassessment, John, you're right. I shouldn't penalize Coast Guys, Bridget Coast Guy, for getting fourth in London. She was second in the Olympics, crushed Tokyo. Those on their own, I would rank her number two. I shouldn't penalize her for coming back and trying to run London last fall. So I'm going to Churchill one, Coast Guy two, Y squared three. And you guys made a big deal in the recap of this 24th mile. Originally, you thought it was 443. Surprised you guys let this one slip through. Then the next mile was 516. Doesn't really pass the sniff test. In, in Robert's defense, he told me multiple times, he's like, this doesn't make sense. Ask the organizers. Are they standing by that? Like, Robert, his bullshit detector was sounding a five-star alarm. No, but then I justified it to myself. I, I, I compared it to Bridget Coast guys run, what, 504 the whole way? So I'm like, why couldn't she run 20 seconds faster on one mile? So I talked myself into it. What I didn't do was go back and compare 
where the split on the screen popped up in the women's race and where it popped up in the men's race and realize without even intricacies of the, knowing the intricacies of the course, you would see that those are different. And then Helmut Winter, our friend, um, emailed Jonathan and has gotten to the bottom of this. This is really kind of an amazing story. I mean, first of all, Yes, the bullshit detector that goes off. I mean, I'll never forget the first Abu Dhabi marathon. When was that? 2019, 2018? Um, I was like the only Let's Run guy watching it at like three in the morning because there was some big person. I was into it. And they closed really fast over the last like 5K. And the time went from like, I, I don't even remember, like 205 to 204 flat or something. It's like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, this course had to be short. Immediately I thought that. And then Helmet Winter. It's retired German professors like, yeah, I agree with you. People are like, oh, you're ridiculous. And the people are like, this is a Middle Eastern country. Don't publicize it if it's true because it's going to hurt the marathon. And then a couple of months later, Helmut and Sean Hartnett fought, go out to Abu Dhabi and measure the course by hand themselves and found it was like 195 meters short. So amazing stuff. This guy goes to every marathon. He's been in the truck in London. And this really upset me. He's like, yeah, a lot of the official mile markers, we know they're in the wrong spot. Like they can't put it in the right spot on the side of the road because it's under a bridge or it's in a tunnel. So they just put it like, you know, a hundred yards later and really think it's not a big deal because it's just an amateur runner. But for the pros, we, we're in the lead truck and we write down, okay, it's not there. It's supposed to be at a certain spot like this far from the bridge. So he's got this sheet that he's done it. He did London for more than 10 years. He did Berlin. He's done Chicago. But for some reason, they replaced him after COVID. By the way, these guys, he and Sean Tarnett, don't get paid. He said they do it for free. This is disturbing to me. We're going to talk about why the sport's not popular, but why the, are, the, are the majors taking stuff seriously anymore? Like, you have free labor that's really good, and you don't want them anymore? You think the timing people can do it? Guess what? The timing people didn't do it well. They messed up. Well, I hope they get a free trip to London. But back to the race. Who cares if she didn't run 4.43? She still dropped a 4.59 and a 5.02 in miles 24 and 25 of a marathon. That's still superb running. If you guys told me that beforehand, like I, I rewrote the story last night, just, you know, corrected it. This is still a display. I think I don't, was it just her? And, who was with her at that point? How big was the pack? And it was it just ball game over? Well, no, it was, it was interesting because... Y squared was right on the pacemakers for the first half of the race because they were supposed to be going after the women's only world record of 217.01. But that didn't really end up happening. They come through a little slow. They're 68.46 at halfway, and the pacemakers are off at that point. And then Y squared kind of drops back to the back of that pack, and then she goes to the front again. But it's about seven women in this pack, seven or eight women. And then at 20 miles, why we didn't even mention this yet, Weiss Wed falls down. There's a little bump in the road, a speed bump. She doesn't see it, trips down, hurts her knee, her hip, and it bumps her head as well. But she gets up immediately. It was about a 20-meter gap. She gets up, closes it very quickly. And then you've got Judith Correa and uh, Jocelyn Jepkosguy, the two Kenyans in the lead pack. It's down to four. They're the ones actually doing the pushing. So I'm like, wait, why squared? Is she is she going to get dropped? Like, she wasn't fading completely, but she was running behind. And I thought at that point, she, she'd been at the front for so long. I was like, this is a woman who likes to go from the front. No, it turns out she was totally fine, just biding her time. And 
She starts picking it up. It's her and Jeff Cars guy. They drop everyone else. And then Yahalo drops the hammer and goes on to win pretty handily. So that, that's how it played out. Well, then. I will say the one other thing about this woman is the reason why we thought the 443 might be possible is she closed her last kilometer at the Antrim Coast Half Marathon in August in 255. That's what her agent told me before the race, which is, you know, fast. I think that's like 441 mile pace, right? So if she can do that at the end of a half marathon, I was like, well, maybe it's possible if it's a little downhill or something. And the 24th mile is downhill at the start that she might be able to do that. But turns out it was a little too good to be true. Correct. We thought that was the downhill mile, right? It is a downhill mile. If you look at the elevation chart at the start of the 24th mile, it does drop. So we thought it was like a 450. We didn't think it was that crazy. Plus look, she's run 2914 on the roads. I mean, that's basically 440 pace the whole way. So look, where does she go from here? She's only 23. Now, I mean, Tidges Asefa, though, might be the best Ethiopian. I mean, we have her coach saying she can break the record, but there's just so many good runners now. But 23, we're already running the marathon. It's interesting, you know, her track credentials, 1453, 5,000 PB, 3020 for 10,000. John, the agent said she may do go do World Cross. He said she may not even necessarily do the marathons in the spring. I just don't understand how she doesn't stick with the marathon because when she did run the track, did he explain this away? How in the hell? On June 6th, did she only run 30.54? Well, she'd run Hamburg that spring. So some women can bounce back immediately and you're ready to go. But she was up against some very strong Ethiopians in that race. And remember, it came down to a kick. It was like the second group was all around 30.40 or whatever. She just wasn't ready to close in a race like that. If she said, okay, next year... I'm going all in. I'm not running a spring marathon. I want to make the world championship team in the track in 10,000. Yeah, I think she'd have a pretty great chance to do that and maybe win a medal. But I think she's better at this point in her career on the roads. She didn't run a lot on the roads coming up. It's just an event that suits her better. She's a road runner and not really a big kicker. Uh, in terms of next spring, though, Robert, she may run a spring marathon. Remember, World Cross, it's normally at the end of March, but it's actually going to be earlier next year. It's in the middle of February, February 18th in Australia. So the way her agent explained it to me, Dan Vandenberg was, you know, if they want to run World Cross, they'll still have two months to get ready for a spring marathon. It's fairly doable. So I think she's excited by, for, by running for Ethiopia. What she wants to do is win medals for Ethiopia. And if that can come in World Cross, we don't, look, we don't know how she'll handle it. There are other good cross-country runner she would not enter well cross as a favorite but 29 14 yeah she's she's one of the best runs in the world i love it that she's going to go there and try something she doesn't have a ton of experience with this is what we love at let's run we like to see the big stars running these events trying to do big things that she wants to run cross and not just be just a kipchoge two marathons a year type starting at age 23 i think that's great that would be amazing see it's good that they move the date up because it also makes it better for track so I, I, I was thinking of the other option would be to do a fall would be to do like a Tokyo or a Nagoya, like in February or March. And then you could do the, you, you could do the worlds on the track and then do like a New York in the fall. You can do a lot, but that, you know, that's, you're kind of busy. Yeah. But, and the other thing, Robert, she was supposed to run the world half this year. She was not planning on running London this fall. 
uh, it wasn't until the world half, which was going to be in November in China, got canceled because China is not going to host any events until the end of the century that they decide, okay, we need to refocus on something. Fortunately, it was canceled so long ago that they could get in a full build up and go to London. But if that race had been on, that's what she would have run this fall and not London. Can we move to the men's race? Let me out myself as a sexist pig. There was one reason why I woke up at 5.30 in the morning, and it was to see. I woke up and I thought, please, Lord, justify me not sleeping in. I want to see one thing. I want to see one thing only. And I got my dual monitors going on and my two different streams going on. And I look up, and it was before halfway. And then I was like, yep, I got it. Bikile, not only in the lead group, at the front of it. When that graphic popped up at 20K, Kenesi Bikile was listed first. Same thing at halfway. Took me down memory lane when I got up, what, 12, 13 years ago to see Ryan Hall run in London. And when that graphic popped up at 30K and he had the lead, I was like, oh, my God. So I was like, wow, he's up there. I'm like, the fact that I thought that he was in the front of the pack meant like he means business. So I was pretty pumped about it. And I think there actually was something to that. When he moved to the back of the pack, I think that many was struggling. And then shortly thereafter, he dropped off. But he made it almost 35K with the leaders. And I'm like, don't give up. I was going to be so devastated if he gave up. But he didn't. They didn't really get much farther away from him. And then he finishes, what was it, 205 high? It's a 40-year-old? He finished fifth in 205.53. I think at this point we should mention the winner of this race, the name of Amos Kiprudo. He's the only Kenyan in the elite field. Beat all the Ethiopians, 204.39. Ran 421 for his 25th mile. Pretty incredible stuff. But do we want to talk about Kiprudo? It's all about Bekele and what happened. And I am i don't know. I, I will always talk about Bekele, but feel like we have to start with the guy who won this race. He ran a 421 25th mile, Robert. And this is what something Hell at Winter says that was legit. Can you remember a guy running that fast in a marathon, particularly that late in the race? That was stunning to me. I actually, I now wasn't totally stunning because yours truly predicted Amos Kipruto to win the race, but 421, I mean, holy crap. I wasn't trying to just dis- dis- take away from the... Great run that Mr. Capruto, I keep wanting to call him Evans Capruto, Amos Capruto had. I mean, the guy's a stud. There was a reason why he picked him to win. There's a reason why he was the betting favorite. I mean, look, here's his last three marathon finishes 20330, 20313, 20439 win in London. Now, that makes it a little, sound a little bit more impressive then he had a DNF in the Olympics. The 203.13 did not actually win Tokyo because Kipchoge beat him. And he did win London. But, I, I you know, I, I was saying, like, in our recap, is this guy now, it's probably like the women. I don't think it's totally clear, but is he the best marathoner on the planet not named Kipchoge? Is that definite? Who else is in the running for that title? Well, it kind of depends. If you get Evans Chabet, who won Boston in April, if he comes out and wins, I think he's running New York 
this fall. If he wins that race, he's got a Boston and New York win on his resume this year. I think you could certainly go with him. Tolo was impressive at the Olympics, but obviously, sorry, at Worlds, but he didn't run here. I, I think Amos Kipruto, I think I would probably go with him right now. But the marathon, we just have so few data points. Like, as soon as we get a new batch of results next spring, it'll probably be someone different because you only get the top guys racing two or three times a year. What I wanted to just mention about this 421, I was just thinking, I'm like, how often during his training does a marathoner even run 421 pace? Because we were talking to Frank Shorter earlier this year, well, last month actually, when he was talking about the 50th anniversary of his Olympic marathon victory in Munich in 1972. He said when he did track sessions, he never ran slower than 420 pace for any of his reps. So he was doing it a lot. But I think, you know, I was talking to Amos Kipruto's coach, Claudio Berardelli. I'm like, how often does he touch that fast in training? He's like, well, for strides and stuff. And yeah, not really in workouts. Like you're either doing long runs where you're grinding or long repeats or like Kipchoge, when Kipchoge is on the track, he's doing the session we saw him do was 1K, 2K repeats. If you're running 420 mile pace at elevation, you're not doing it for much more than 800 meters or something. So and I don't think marathoners do a ton of those shorter reps. So it was interesting to me. I, maybe it's different for Americans, but I don't think Kibruto runs very many short repeats. You seem obsessed with that, how much he's hitting that pace in practice. He does strides. People on the message board did not like that, John. I mean, Weldon used to do five by 800, four by three. Oh, I guess that was when he was doing 10K training. I'm not saying it's impossible, Robert. Obviously, he can do it. Like people, 5K runners aren't running 55 second pace in practice every day, and they can still close quick. You don't need to run a certain pace to be able to replicate in a race. But I find it, I just found it interesting. Like, this is a guy, he's not really doing this, and then 25 miles into a marathon, you can crank one out. Found that interesting. What I found interesting, what I didn't mention in the article, because I don't want to be Debbie Downer, and I think the, the focus on these races should be times, and I think it's it's getting kind of boring to have rabbiting race after rabbiting race. Like, let's see if somebody wants to take it a mile eight. Um, you know, you should get everyone together in London, let it battle it out. Let's get everyone together in Boston and let them battle it out. But what I found interesting was, and I don't think we've mentioned this, was given the weather, the times were slower than I would have thought, significantly slower. I would have thought for sure somebody would run 203. Instead, he wins it in 204.39. I thought the women's world record would go. I mean, maybe I'm just with the super shoes, I'm, I'm thinking it's too easy to do it, but. You know, you had, what, six guys that have run 203 or before? You have good weather. And the way the London money works, you know, and I'm going to put this up in the week that was, London pays, what, $55,000 for first? But it's all in the time bonuses, which I hate. $150,000 for sub-202, $100,000 for sub-203, $75,000 for sub-204, $50,000 for sub-205. So the only person who got the time bonus was the winner, you know. And actually... Everyone who's out there saying there's a wage gap between the men and the women. London is paying out $496,500 to the women this year. They're paying out $206,500 to the men. That's prize money plus time bonuses. You know, appearance fees are, are a whole other ballgame. And I get why the races want to do the appearance fees because you, you kind of need a stable field to promote. But I just don't like the way that there's more in the, in the time than the place, particularly for first. But I'm I'm surprised given that that the conditions, given the conditions and the talents that they didn't run faster. 
what I'd like to see maybe is some analysis of the 500 finisher, the thousands finisher. And I've done this on the races. Maybe despite everything looking perfect on paper, it wasn't perfect. I don't know. Well, here's my theory, Robert, is that it's sort of like a track race in a 5K. Like when you get the pacer goes through 2K and then they drop out and then they slow for those third and fourth kilometers because no one wants to be the sacrificial lamb. No one wants to show their cards. They all think it's coming down to a kick and no one wants to lead them out. It's a little different in a marathon, but I could certainly see you get to halfway or 25K, the paces are out and you just say, I'm not going to be the one to move first. I'm just going to hang here for a while. I trust I can close the last few miles. I'll wait for someone else to do it. And if everyone thinks that way, that's when you get the pace slowing down. But you're getting paid by for, for, to run fast. But you, know. you you think that they're thinking about that 25K into a marathon is, oh, I need to run this certain time to get paid? No, they, these guys are thinking they want to win the race. And I've always wondered, I would love to hear from an agent, Robert at Let's Run.com. Do some of them have like minimum guarantees? Like, well, you have a hundred thousand dollar minimum, and then if you were to get more because you hit this time, you'll we'll give it to you. But otherwise, doesn't matter. What do you mean? Like, that's that's an appearance fee. An appearance fee. The appearance fees are going to be structured in such a way to say you get fifty thousand to show up, you get a hundred thousand to finish, you get, you know, and then you get certain time bonuses written into your appearance fee as well. Yeah, but all of them necessarily getting these full bonuses. Maybe like somehow the appearance fee offsets those bonuses because they didn't, you know, they're not. I'm always thinking they're running for money. Weldon doesn't agree with me. Well, of course they're running for money, but it's not the only thing they're after. I too was shocked the times run faster. Guys, I'm looking at the, there's a couple things that should be in every recap. You guys don't have the half split, you have like a 20K split. So they're probably around 102 mid halfway. They're 102.14. I'm a little surprised both races weren't faster. I mean, the second place guy, Laul Gebrselassie, slightly different spelling than the Gebrselassie, but I'm sure he's of the great Gebrselassie family. Or is it like Johnson and Johnston? Anyway. Oh, there's so many different ways to spell Gebrselassie. There's what there's Gurmai Gebrselassie, the 2016 New York City Marathon champion who has a silent H in there. I've seen like five or six different ways to spell Gebrselassie. By the way, can I state for the record, we did include the halfway split. It says, after leading at halfway in 62-14, Bikile 40 ran with the leaders until almost 35K. My apologies, my apologies. But Gebrselassie, I'm assuming actually this is just, it's the exact same name, pronounced exactly the same, you just spell it differently. Anyway, this guy's last three marathons, 204.31, So he runs slower in London and gets a better place. And the crazy thing is also, it's, you guys think the sport hasn't changed. In those three marathons, his highest finish was second place. But now he's running 205 in London. I, I'm just kind of surprised they didn't run faster. I'm really shocked the women didn't get the record. And I, I think it does show, you know, time isn't everything. No, but when they put such an emphasis on it, it almost becomes everything. I just I didn't like the announcing. Like they, they didn't mention Bikele's 40 sitting a master's world record. There was no praise for that. They were kind of like, oh, they're not going to get the uh, all comers record or I mean the fastest women's record and this type of stuff. But one more thing about this Gabriel Celeste guy. He wasn't even on the start list. 
And the race goes off and he's, he's running it with a 20402 PB. How in the hell did he get in the race? And why in the hell didn't London promote him as being in the race? And this gets me to another thing. I'm about to go off on the World Marathon Majors. You know, who's to blame for the sport not being popular? John basically being the only journalist left in the sport. You know, and Tony Revis wrote an interesting column saying, it's the agents and the runners because they don't speak good English. Come on. But we can talk about that. But Chicago did the same thing. Chicago changed their field last week. And then they put up like three or four guys that were going to be running. And at the bottom, they put in Alicia Rotich. They don't mention these a 204.21 PB and one Paris. Like they have a bunch of 210 people up top. Don't even mention him. So John, how to explain to me how a 20402 guy is in the elite field, one of seven people that has a legitimate shot of winning, and no one knew about it until the gun goes off. When do they let you know in the media room? They didn't tell me. I actually, I should have mentioned this on our podcast because I talked to his agent, Dan Vandenberg, and he told me on Thursday, I believe, that Gabriel Selassie was running. And I was like, oh, that's weird because I would, when I prepared to, for our interview, I looked at all the guys he, they had in the race and he wasn't on the start list. So I was surprised by that. But that's when I found out. London itself, though, I didn't. I looked on their website. He wasn't on the start list. So I forgot to mention him in our preview. Well, I didn't know to mention him until Thursday afternoon. All right. Can we talk a little bit about Bekele? Where does he go from here before I go on a rant about the World Marathon Majors? Slash in their series price purse. But I don't know. I was back in the day, I didn't like Bikile. Now I'm like a big fan for some reason. I don't know why. He reaches battle against Father Time. But I said coming in, it's not realistic for him to contend for the wind. Masters World Record is more realistic. That's what he gets, is the Masters World Record. But when you talk to him, John, it was kind of like mesmerizing. I want more. Well, that's great. I want $50 million too, but I'm not going to get it. What's next? I think what's next is he comes back and he hopes he can string together some healthy training and he tries to run London or maybe Berlin next fall. I don't know, Robert. It's going to be interesting because this is what happens normally when you approach 40 years old as a marathoner. We've seen people have success late in their careers, but most of the time, if you've been running at an elite level for more than 20 years, which Kenny Bekele has, it gets harder to stay healthy. Injuries pop up. That's what happened in this buildup. Three months before the race, he got hurt. It was a back issue. He also said his joints, so I think maybe his knee. He missed about six weeks of training. If you miss six, six weeks of training, and you're also a guy who hasn't logged a couple of consistent years of training before that, it's going to affect your race day performance. He's talented enough, and he got in a good enough work after the injury that he could still run 205.53. Again, faster than anyone else ever has officially past the age of 40. But this is kind of what happens when a, a great runner declines. We've seen it with Farah. You get banged up. You have to withdraw from more races than you used to. And that's the crazy thing. That's, it hasn't happened to Kipchoge. He never gets injured. He's just had consistent training over consistent training. If anything, he's getting better and better and better. But yeah, Bekele, look, if he can string together six months of consistent training between now and whatever spring marathon he does, maybe he can run a little faster. Is he ever going to get to 209? I don't think so because 
to even consider that, you would really have to stay healthy for a prolonged period of time, which I don't think is going to happen at this point in his career. And then you'd have to get back to that ability we saw from three years ago. I just think it's really hard. So I think this kind of is what Michaela is at this point. Yeah, the I missed six weeks of training is really getting old to me. And 10 seconds a mile is a lot. Think of it this way. Back when I was recruiting, coaching in college, nine flat recruit, total stud, 920. Eh, he's got some potential. There's a big gap between 10 seconds a mile, and that's what he needs to do to go from 205 to 201. Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to get that. The thing about Bekele is he's wired to be the best. That's why he was so good for so long, is he is not going to accept anything else than the top. Even with his missed training for this race, he still was like, this wasn't the performance he was he was proud of. He wanted more. I don't know. To me, running 205-53 at the age of 40, he's still out there and giving it a go. I respect that, but... I just don't think it's going to happen for him. He's so talented, but he's old and he's missed too much time the last few years. 201 is just a, I think it's a pipe dream at this point, but that's, that's what motiv- motivates him. He's not going to be motivated by just running 204 or 203 again, even winning some of these races that he hasn't won. He's never won London in about three or four attempts now. I don't think that drives him the same. The only thing that drives him is getting that world record in the marathon. And, who knows? Maybe next year is the year he realizes it's probably not going to happen. But this was at least he finished the race 205 as, as fast as marathon since 2019. It might give him, it might t- tell him, hey, I at least, if everything goes perfectly, maybe next year I can do it. But I don't think that, I don't think he can. You, you will have that nonsense. Uh, he's wired differently. I hate when we get these these athletes who are just more talented. Oh, they've got this special mindset. If Elliot Kipchoge's if he had Elliot Kipchoge's success as his mind, why did he win on the track? This is not what I'm arguing. I'm not saying he's good because he's wired differently. I'm just saying he views success and failure differently. That isn't why he was able to run twelve thirty seven. It's because he, he's just insanely talented and works hard, but. You're conflating, you're conflating correlation with causation, Robert. I'm just saying because he's so good, he views success and failure differently. Fair enough. And I think we should leave the discussion of who's the greatest of all time, Akile, Kipchoge, for another day. I've been mouthing off on the message board about that. There's an interesting thread about that. Well, then please link to it in show notes. Well, I mean, this is a master's world record. We can give him some credit for that, right? Although people are... I think most people probably think Kipchoge is older than him. And Robert hates having any side of mental component to running or any sport. I was reading David Epstein, author of Sports Gene. He now has a newsletter on Bulletin. He's talking about Roger Federer and his career. And he has this quote. I read elsewhere about Federer beating Tiger Woods for the first time in 2006. I was interested to see that Federer said he'd never spoken to anybody, quote, who was so familiar with the feeling of being invincible. I think these guys who are super successful are wired differently. Now, maybe it becomes because of their success. But I think at some point, it's a self-repeating cycle. It feeds on itself. Of course, he wants to go break the world record. He used to just dominate everything. It's a sort of maybe it's an illusion or something, but. 
you don't think you can do it, you're never going to do it. So it's like the chicken or the egg, which came first. But I think the confidence of Bolt when he's standing on the starting line, putting his hands up, probably wasn't doing that in like when he was 14. But then by 15, he was the world junior champion. They come, the confidence comes from the success. That's why all these guys feel that way because they know what they've done for years and years. They know they're the best or they've been age group phenoms. I don't think you just roll up like that. The winning contributes to it. Well, if you don't have the winning, then you're just viewed as like a cocky mf right? Like, oh, that guy's so, too cocky. If you back it up with winning, usually people are like, mm, yeah, he's cocky, but he's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, even when Bolt was celebrating 2008 Olympics, he was already the world record holder at that point. So that was maybe an example. He never won a global title, and he's still freaking celebrating across the finish line in the 100-meter dash, which, can we just say, one of the most badass, awesome, amazing moments in the history of the sport. But anyway, back to road racing. Tell me about the hockey thing. Wasn't that the famous uh, Carson Warhol when he was training before the cameras and he was young, and Michael Johnson's like, who's this buffoon? Carl Lewis. Carl Lewis. No, Carl Lewis on Twitter did it. Oh. Yeah, and then it turned out he was the greatest 400-meter hurdler of this generation. Maybe all time. All right, let's talk about the depressing news from last week. And it, we broke it live on this podcast last week when we found out the World Marathon Majors are, are slashing their series prize money by 69%. So back in... 2006, a bunch of major marathons got together, Boston, London, Berlin, Chicago, New York, and they wanted to promote themselves as the grand slams of the sport. Here's the quote from Mary Wittenberg, the head of the New York Roadrunners at the time. Our races are to our sport what Wimbledon and Australian, U.S. and French Open are to tennis, and what the Masters, U.S. and British Opens and PGA Championships are to golf. And they started off with a $500,000 first prize over two years. And then they reduced it a few years later to 250000 They were hoping to up that to a million. Instead, it got reduced to 250000 And now, just weeks before Tip Choge is supposed to take home $250,000, the new CEO says, oh, we're only going to give you 50000 Tip Choge. We're going to give you the same amount as the wheelchair racers. This, to me, is a joke. And there's been some interesting discussions in the last week or so about this. Tony Rebus you know, wrote an interesting column basically saying, look, the World Marathon majors have given up. But that sounds negative to them. And the column, he pretty much blamed the managers and the athletes from Africa for not promoting the sport better, learning English, etc. Which, in this day and age, doesn't surprise me. There's actually an interesting post in Electron. Someone's saying, look, that's kind of a racist critique, which I don't know if it's really fair to say it's racist. Other people are saying it's part of structural racism that we don't, we're no longer celebrating greatness. We're celebrating marketability, English eloquence, but I know your mind are Tony's married to a black woman, so I don't think he's trying to be racist. Um, we're going to have a great friend of which one I respect Tony, but I, I don't think this idea of only the runners were better English and the agents did more to promote the sport, it'd be better. First of all, what media has left to, 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 to promote these people? The, the, the majors have, have farmed off their meets to streaming services like Flowtrack, 
There's no newspapers left. Jonathan Gull is like the only people at the press conference. So if we had perfectly eloquent English speakers, what broadcast would be covering ads and hyping it up, et cetera? That's number one. And number two, don't the Razors deserve some blame? I mean, if you guys were talking about Lalo Gabrasolesi, the runner up in London, he wasn't even on the start list. How in the hell do you have a 20402 guy not on the start list? And Chicago has done the same thing. Last week, they sent out a press release saying, by the way, we've added these people to the field. They always add about three people, you know, three men, three women to the field about 10 days out. Do it every year. This year they do it. And they mentioned some Chinese guys run like 210. I'm like, what do I care? And then in the bottom, there's like 15 names mentioned. I look up one of them. One of them is named Elisha Rotich. He's run 204.21. He's the Paris Marathon champion last year. Why in the hell do you have two 204 runners running majors who the, the races themselves don't even promote? If they're not promoting him, let's stop blaming the athletes. Let's stop blaming the agents. And let's blame the races. I feel like everyone deserves a little bit of the blame, but this is, is it really the fault of the races and the agents that just track and field and road running isn't that popular? Like, Yamsov Yahalor, one of the huge talents in the sport, she actually, I will give them credit. She did interviews in English. She's only 23. She's still pretty new to the whole global scene, but she did her best. She tried, and I think it's going to improve as she races, and that helps, but... I don't know. Like we, we talk about this all the time, how to fix track and field. How do we make track and field more popular? It's not as if marathons are the pro side of marathons are that much more popular. Kipchoge, big star, all right? Mainstream sports fans, I think most of them will have at least heard his name. But why are these marathons really popular? It's because you get 40 or 50,000 people running the elite field. Sorry, running the mass race. And they all will pay $100 or $200 to run these things. That's what makes them money. It's not the broadcast contracts that they get with NBC or ESPN, if there was a lot of value in it, these things wouldn't be, well, I guess it's in the middle of the night on flow track, but you would think that the broadcast contracts would be a lot more profitable if there was a huge interest in streaming these things, in watching these things. And a lot of people on the Let's Ride discussion thread about this have said, hey, I don't care who wins the race. That's fine. But the... the the race, what bothers me is the New York Roadrunners was, the New York Marathon was founded as an elite race. The, 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 the majors built themselves up, this whole marketing run, the six majors, off the backs of the pros. Were the, so there's a huge value in that. People say, oh, I don't know who they are, blah, blah, blah. My friend Chris here probably doesn't know who these guys are. I barely know who some of these guys are. It's hard because they only race twice a year nowadays in the marathon and they've got weird names. I'll get it. Uh, even for me, it's hard to follow. But I just don't like how the fact that you use these runners to promote your series, and now you think it's a good thing that the wheelchairs are getting the same amount of value as them. That's absurd to me. Wheelchair racing is to running, and they might as well run a bike. It's, it's not the same thing. It's not running. Oh, it's closer to cycling than running, absolutely. And here's the thing. I, I agree with you, Robert, that the elite part of this race, it does lend legitimacy when you have the top runners in the world running this your marathon or running really fast times at the front of the marathon. That does help with the marathon overall. But I'm going to... And look, they should not be cutting the prize money this drastically and they should not be level with the wheelchairs because no one pays any attention to the wheelchairs. I know running's not popular, but 
in these press conferences, no one asks any athletes the wheelchair. No one mentions, well, we don't mention them in our story with let's run.com, but there's far less interest in the wheelchair side of the sport, wheelchair athletes than there is in running. Yet they are on the broadcast probably more than people would care to see them. But the thing I would say is the World Marathon Majors, all right, they started this thing in 2006. They wanted to make it a major league sport. They wanted to make it a big time event. They had big prize money and they said that we are going to get a title sponsor. And once we get that, we want to take it to $1 million per year for our series champion. $1 million for men, $1 million for women. The issue is it took them until 2015 to get a title sponsor. And then shortly after that, they dropped the prize money. This may just be them accepting the economic realities is, hey, we did try to make a push. And could they have tried harder? Could they have tried different approaches? Maybe. But this might just be the World Marathon Major saying, hey, we wanted to make this popular. We wanted to make professional marathoning, the World Marathon Major Series, as the pro circuit of our sport. It didn't work out. We're going to cut our losses and just focus on the mass races. But first of all, you're wrong about the mass races. It doesn't cost one or two hundred dollars. It costs three or four hundred dollars during these races. But that's just uh, I, the series thing never did for me. Like I thought it was a waste of money almost every year. So I don't care that they're canceling it. I care that they're canceling it midseason. You could have the majors be like a major marathon is one that offers five hundred thousand dollars for first, two hundred fifty thousand dollars for second, a hundred thousand dollars for third, or something like that. You could do it like that. Minimum prize money, like that, would be one option to say what is a major because I just feel like, I don't know, the, at least when, in the case of the New York Road Runners and I think London too, the, these are nonprofits. So I guess you could say oh, we want to spend on the mass race or whatever, but I feel like they owe it to the sport, particularly the New York Road Runners. That's why I, I never liked the rock and roll series, these hedge funds owning the races. I want a nonprofit that's worried about promoting running in charge. Guys, you're just like talking all over the place. The issue is, do these want to be the best marathons in the world? And that, to me, means having the best fields, the best athletes. Now, individually, maybe these races do. But as a group, if the prize doesn't mean something, I disagree, Robert. They're not going to have a prize for something, for this thing. Then we're going to start treating Valencia as a major. And they're going to expand to Chengdu or some other town. I'm sorry if I got the Chinese pronunciation wrong. If they're going to be eight or ten races, then it's just a collection of races that are branding themselves with something. And if they're not going to award greatness, someone else will come along and award the greatness. Valencia is doing that. They used the fact that these are the best runners in the world to create this status. And the public buys in, you know, we buy in, runners rule buys in, other people view these are the best, these are the premier marathons in the world. And it's not just because they're the, some of the biggest mass participation races in the world. I'm a former Marine Corps marathon champion. Biggest mass participation race in D.C., one of the biggest in the United States. Sorry, no prize money. No one gives a shit about it, you know, uh, as a sporting event. And I spoke to Donna Stone, the new CEO of World Marathon Majors, and a couple of things. They make no, they need, she's new on this job. She's only been there two months. But, yeah, where's the World Marathon Majors going to go? They presented this thing as a great thing. Wheelchairs being equal with runners i personally think you don't need to do that i would de-emphasize that's my own personal belief and but tony had this thing saying wheelchair was really popular on espn back in the day if that's the case then how come the new york city marathon on espn they don't devote an hour to the wheelchair it's completely ignored 
I think that's BS. I think if the wheelchairs were popular, they would show a lot more coverage. They don't. It's shown as like woke washing, whatever. It's like a token thing that they show. Not that these athletes aren't inspiring, what have you. But now where are they going to go? Why don't they have a highlight package on NBC later? Why don't there's the one marathon, there's an hour package on NBC later. What are these races doing to promote them outside of their own local area? They're not doing much. I think that's what her job needs to be. I agree. Rebus blames the agents and the athletes for not promoting it. I'm blaming more the races. I mean, maybe it's not that popular to begin with, but look, it's hard to broadcast two sporting events at once, and they're trying to do four now with the wheelchair races. If I think the way to go is to have eight majors, one male, one female race, period, no wheelchair. You have one wheelchair race in the fall somewhere, and just you don't need eight of them. The same, I mean, the same, the same wheelchair athletes, not only do they do all the majors, they also do the Winter and Summer Olympics. And the sprints and the distances. They do the Winter Olympics? Yeah. In what event? A lot of these wheelchair athletes are in the Winter Olympics. In what event? I don't know. Skiing of some sort. <laughs> I don't think we're going to need a fact check on that. I mean, look, it's easier to do the summer and winter as a pro-Olympian because you're going up against much smaller like fields of athletes that you have to beat out. But I don't think a lot of these athletes are doing Winter Olympics as well. Help, help me out, John. Name the top female American woman from Maryland. I forgot her name. Help me out. I'll just Google it right now. Are you talking about, is that Oksana Masters? No. Tatiana McFadden? Yes. She's a winter Olympian? Holy shit, you're right. There we go, Wait, right there. 2014, she was a winter Olympian <laughs> in the sitting cross-country skiing event, and she got the silver medal. I don't think I still don't think that proves that they all do it, but I didn't realize she did that. You're walking, Jonathan. I mean, with the World Marathon majors expanding, it's interesting where they're going to go. They have ten races. It's not the same all thing. Right, they haven't expanded, and, and yet. then if you're going to go just being a mass participation race, why are you going to China? There's no freedom of expression. We're, we're trying to celebrate greatness celebrate different types of people. We're going to go to a country where, where, where a basic, what we consider in the West, a basic human right, the right to freedom of expression is not allowed. You're going to celebrate that just because you get some money? That's what you're going to do? No. So don't act all holier than me and that, that oh, you, you treat marathon, you're, you know, you're like almost better than everyone else because you treat wheelchair athletes the same as runners, that sort of stuff. The other thing I want to address, John, is this quote I applaud Donna for speaking to me. She said, quote, I want to make sure you know that I personally approached a lot of the top agents and managers, including Elliot, and sat with them and talked about the rationale for doing this. Later on, she said, quote, that we wanted to focus on, as Abbott World Marathon majors, on an area that we really felt was underserved, which is, of course, the wheelchair athletes. So we did approach the agents first and talked to them about the plans. Or if we make this change, where those dollars will be going, what will we do using for? And so they were in agreement. Apparently, John, that's not what you heard from the agents in London, correct? Yeah, I've spoken to a couple agents who essentially told me that's not how that meeting went down. That wasn't their recollection of the meeting. And that they didn't feel they really agree. You know, there was one agent who talked to some of the agents who were there, and he was mentioning that he didn't think the ones who were in the meeting actually agreed to anything. 
then another agent who was in the meeting told me they she didn't say the whole story. She did not mention that they were going to be going reducing the first place prize from two hundred and fifty thousand to fifty thousand. She mentioned that they were going to be paying fourth and fifth in the series, but the biggest part of that whole new structure is that they're reducing the payment by five hundred by two hundred thousand dollars for first place. And he says that never came up. This whole thing is just such a joke. The, the fact that they think that that this is a good thing that they're going to be promoting the wheelchairs. Like, you already have two poorly presented races on TV because it's, again, no one watch, no human being watches two sporting events at once. The picture-in-picture thing died a long time ago. Remember when that was invented like 20 years ago? Now no TV cares about it because nobody can watch two sporting events at once. So now they're going to try to do four at once. And, and also it shows you that they just view the runners as a charity case. Like, oh, they don't really deserve it. Just probably the same way we view the, you know, the disabled athletes. Oh, like, they're not really bringing the revenue, but we'll just throw them something just to be nice. So, you know, maybe people will actually understand this. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. I, I, I wish Kip Gabe would get a lawyer just sue for the 200000 He deserves it. That would be because he won both Tokyo and Berlin this year, which means he would have won the series title and 250000 which is what, he went into this year until two days. They didn't announce this until two days after he won Berlin. So they would have finished that race thinking he was the series champion with 250,000. Yeah, they said now it's taking effect this year only. Look, moving forward, if they expand to Cape Town and Chengdu and Sydney, yes, not you can't have a nine world marathon majors. It's just not going to mean anything anymore. But if these races continue to pay, look, they're still paying some of the highest appearance fees and prize money in the sport. If they do that, they will continue to get the top fields and we'll continue to talk about them. But we've already saw Dubai for a while would just offer crazy prize money and they would get incredible fields, mostly of Ethiopians. We would treat that as major. Now Valencia, I would say Valencia has probably surpassed Chicago, at least. And you could argue it's ahead of, I mean, depending on your feelings on Berlin and Tokyo, you could say it's ahead of those as well. So... If those were, if someone like Valencia keeps paying out these top athletes, that is going to become something that is talked about, at least to the people who care about league running. We're going to cover it more than somewhere where you're not getting the same fields or you're not paying the same prize money. Well, the beautiful thing is, yeah, there are other races that can compete. They want to have the status as the best marathoner. Thankfully, there's a billionaire backing the Valencia Marathon. He just, If he wants his sports money and make Valencia maybe the best marathon in the world, maybe he can do that. I wonder, for me, the question is, did the World Marathon majors lose sight of what they were about, what they really represent? They took money from a Chinese company with the expectation that they would expand and one of the races, one of the expansion races would be in China. You know, they expanded to Tokyo a while back. So now they have to get bigger. And they're like, how is this series going to work when it's bigger? But by expanding, are they diluting their brand? And are they no longer going to be the best races? No one's going to care about the Chengdu Marathon. So, guys, I don't know. Nothing's forever in this sport. Does the Fukuoka Marathon ring a bell for you? Yes, it was the unofficial world championships for a long damn time. Right. And last year was supposed to be the last Fukuoka Marathon. Although there's a new version of it back this year. But I'm just saying... Times change. 
Yeah, I, I, I want to see entities committed to having the best foot race in the world. That's what we celebrate at Let's Run. We celebrate the, the runners. Whoever the best runner is, I don't care if you're from anywhere. Africa, China, Antarctica. I haven't had a lot of great Antarctica marathoners yet. But the best of the best will always be celebrated in Let's Run, and I, I want the World Marathon Majors to do that as well. Right. I do too. Full disclosure, if I ever started a race, I might have no prize money. I would have no prize money and I'd have the best. Like, I don't see a point of half-assing it. I really don't. I agree with you. Why, why are they expanding? Unless these races are offering 5 or $10 million to them, it's, it's chicken money to them to split it among six or seven people. If you get $2 million, it's three hundred grand. Like, that's nothing. So they better be getting like $10 million from the Chinese races. Otherwise, it's, you're just diluting your brand. It makes no sense. Well, they're diluting their brand from an elite perspective. From a mass perspective, they're now, they have a foothold in Asia. They might have a foothold in Africa, in Australia. They're on every continent. And they can say, well, because then you have people saying, oh, I want to go to Sydney to run the Sydney Marathon. It's a world marathon major. I can complete all my stars, you know? I know. And so then the Americans, instead of running the American races, go to Sydney instead the races here are already selling out. So why in the hell do they want to send them to Sydney or China or whatever? And why do they need the Chinese people to come here? They don't. So I, I just don't like it. Let's move on. Let's move on. Um, there will be another major this weekend, Chicago, Bank of America, Chicago Marathon. Um, and, you know, we'll be breaking that down in great detail on Friday, the Friday 15 for our supporting club members. But Connor Mans is getting some big buzz in the message board. He says that 447 pace at altitude feels good and he's got his own pacer. Apparently, he's going to go out 63 flat. People are acting like this is crazy. This is not crazy to me. Why would he run 206? 206 is what 208 or 209 used to be. Why wouldn't he run it? It's still hard. You still need to make sure things go right. But I agree with you, Robert. I don't think this is an insane take. How Name me a better marathon prospect in the United States in the last 20 years then Connor Mance, I would think you would say maybe Ryan Hall, but Connor Mance was more impressive in college than Ryan Hall. Maybe Galen Rupp, by the, but Galen Rupp had you know had an incredible pro professional career. But all right, when Galen Rupp debuted, no doubt he was a bigger prospect than Connor Mance is right now. But Galen Rupp coming out of college, one year out of college, Galen Rupp or Connor Mance, who's a bigger bigger prospect, still probably Rupp because he was an Olympian, he'd run pretty fast, but. Who are you kidding, John? Galen John. Rupp or Connor Mance? <laughs> Galen Rupp was like Olympian, winning stuff left and right. NCAA, multiple NCAA champion of senior year. Coached by Alberto Salazar. Yeah, Come on. It, uh, no, 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 no. Galen Rupp is a pro prospect. Absolutely more, you know, bigger hype, more ceiling coming out of college than Connor Mance. As a pure marathoner, I think you can argue... Connor Mance may, all right, still maybe you would go with Rupp because he ran 27.36 or whatever. But Connor Mance won NCAA cross twice. He was top 10 all four years. Oh, sorry, he ran three He ran three times. No, he didn't. He ran four times. He was third in 2019 as well. This guy was a total star. Like, what is he good at doing? Grinding. He crushed everyone at Oklahoma State on one of the toughest cross-country courses they've ever had NCAAs at. You look at him, and I'm just like, this is a guy who is made to suffer. He's a made. He's a guy who's made to run the marathon. Galen Rupp, you could have said, oh, actually, he can close really well. He anchored the DMR to victory. 
This guy, maybe the track is his best event, the 5K and 10K. Connor Mance, I know he's good at those events. He was fourth at USA's in the 5K this year. But to me, his event long-term is going to be the marathon. So that's why I'm kind of putting him in the same sentence as Rupp. Rupp had a higher ceiling across all distances. Just in the marathon, I think you can say Mance is potential close to Rupp, at least when they were coming out of college. You know, Rupp, once he got the silver in London, obviously he's got a higher ceiling. My larger point is, no, I don't think it's absurd to think about 206, Robert. Given the shoes, if we get a good weather day in Chicago, given the success he's had at other distances, I don't think that's a crazy. And that would be the fastest debut marathon ever by a lot, though. Do you guys know the current US debut record is 207.56? Do you know who owns it? One of those guys born in Kenya. Yes. Ooh. I was about to say, I remember Culpepper had it. So, oh, thank you, Robert. It's got to be Leonard Career. Damn it. You guys teamed up. Thank you, Robert. Because I had, I saw that in the show notes and I'm like, who ran 207.56? No, I don't want to get the email saying I'm racist. I'm the only one in the damn sport that drove down. How many hours was it? Five hours one way, five hours back, 20 hours. Down the car accident, it cost $30,000 damage to my car. That's 10 hours, by the way. Five plus five is 10. Two times. Okay. To broadcast the Kenyan Americans American record at Hampton the 5,000 indoors. So it's my get out of jail card. John, you said if we get good weather, just want to officially state when we get good weather. All these morons that were saying that it was going to be 88 degrees. Somebody looked at like a three week forecast and said it was going to be 88 degrees in Chicago this weekend. It's not. I'm not sure what time the race starts. It starts pretty early. I think 8 a.m. It's going to be 45 degrees. Even better than Berlin, folks. It's going to be rising up to 51 at the finish. Winds. Okay, it's a little windier in Chicago than it is Berlin or London. Looks like 8 to 9 miles per hour. Gusting up to 10 to 20. That sounds bad, but that's really good weather for Chicago. Get the big buildings to block some of the wind. You'll have a t- will be perfectly even because you'll have a tailwind and then a headwind. And oftentimes the headwind's sort of the last couple of miles a little bit. But, yeah, you know, I definitely think you'll get the American debut record. Look, I don't think we should view it as any sort of disappointment. If he goes out and runs 209, you can still see, there's still positives to be taken from that. It's his first marathon. You never know how these things are going to go. You get hiccups. Your fueling might be off. You got a cramp or something like that. I don't think you should view these things as a total failure. But, yeah, the potential's there. And if I was to make a prediction, I need to, I still need to talk to uh, this coach at Eyestone this week and see exactly how his training's been going. But if I was going to make a prediction, I probably would say 207. I do think he gets the debut record. I think he's that good. I think his potential is that high. But a lot of things can't go wrong on the way to a 26.2-mile finish line. Okay, and that brings me to the threat of the week. It's titled, Connor Banth says 446 pace at altitude, feels comfortable, indicates he'll go out and 103 at Chicago Marathon. The post of the week is in this thread. It's by the ghost of Jim Ryan, unregistered user, so I can't give him anything, but he says, I love it. Dude has balls. American runners too often run conservatively. Happy to run 211. Japan with one-third of the population. Had 30 guys last year run 208 or faster. The U.S. had one. 
Everybody goes out at sub 64 in Japan. We need an attitude change in the marathon. And it's true. The game has changed. 211 is just, it just doesn't move the needle anymore. I'm sorry. I know it doesn't, but well then, we if we have, all right, they had 30 guys run 208 or faster. We're, the USA is not going to get that, even if every American marathoner goes out in 64 in every race they run. There's just more of America's better runners are on the track. You know, Grant Fisher is running the track. You know, all these guys, like Sean McGordy, if he was in Japan, he'd be a marathoner. Okay. That's true. It's a cultural thing. They figure we're best in the super long distances. So everybody focuses on it. Right. But like, okay. There was another marathon this weekend. Does the name Yuya Yoshida ring a bell for you guys? Is it supposed to? Yes. Big winner of the biggest marathon in the United States this past weekend. Mr. Yoshida, 25 year old from Japan, ran 211.28 to win $5,000 and get the victory at the Twin Cities Marathon. And I'm like, what is this dude from Japan coming over here? They're really good at Japan, you know? I look him up. John, Jonathan Galt, Mr. Jeopardy of the running world, knows more stats than anybody. Never heard of this guy. He's a 207.05 marathoner. I think he's run 208 a couple times. But in Japan, that probably makes him like a spare. So he's like, okay, I need to go to America and race and try to actually win a race. Comes over here. 207 low, you're not a spare in Japan. Why did he come here, John? I I don't know. But that you're still going to be one of the better Japanese runners if you run 207. Their national record was 206 not that long ago. But recently, this guy's run 208. So he's like, I need to get my confidence back. It's like Robert said, chicken or the egg. He's got to get the confidence back. Now he's going to get the Japanese record. This nonsense, this nonsense of the mindset, it's what they're genetically better at. Why don't the Japanese just change their mindset in the 1500? Here's a stat for you, Weldon. How many Japanese guys broke 340 in the 1500 this year? They don't just go for it. They run tentatively in the 1500. They're scared to go out in sub-60. How many Japanese guy broke 340 this year? Oh, they don't care about the 1500. Logan will say to me. Go ahead, guess. John, you can guess too. I'll say three. How many Japanese broke 340? Five. Their answer is six. 59 Americans did it. So it's just the opposite of, of, the, of the, the marathon stat that you might have. So... Anyways, wait. Weldon talked about his message board throughout the week. Can I read something? It's going back to why isn't the sport more popular and the prize money being slashed. My message board post of the week from Rust Never Sleeps says, our sport is an effed up, just joined a mess, and that is why it's failing. And then he compares track and field to NFL football. Imagine if the Dallas Cowboys chose only to play six to eight games a season. Some against college teams, and two of those are inter-squad scrimmages with no contact. They tell you that there will be games against the Eagles and the Giants this year, but they cannot provide a date or location until 72 hours prior to game time. They will also play the Commanders in BC, but only if Dak Prescott is 100% healthy and Washington is willing to pay for all of the Cowboys' travel expenses. If not, the game will go on, but the Commanders will match up against Towson State. Just to keep you on your toes, 
Cowboys randomly change their logo and uniform colors every year. This year, Dallas will wear gray, yellow jerseys, and the helmets will feature a cursive D instead of the familiar star. There's no Super Bowl this season, but it will be played next year on an April date in Charlotte to coincide with a large high school football convention that attracts a large number of passionate scholastic athletic directors and coaches. Police note that there will be no Super Bowl in 2024, so it won't conflict with the USFL championship game. Then he goes on, or she goes on. Great post. If you post under your name, you would be getting a free shirt, but I don't think it's a registered user. All right. We will go into more detail on the Chicago fields at the end of the week. We do have Seifu Tura, the defending champion. Got Benson Kipruto, who won Boston in 2021. Got Jamal Yema, 58-33 half marathoner from Ethiopia. A bunch of guys in there. And then, you know, got some other American. Patrick Tiernan's making his debut. Uh, so He's not American, obviously, but he's in the field. Former NCAA cross champ, just like Conor Mance. So, on the women's side, the other big storyline in this race, from an American's perspective, is this is Emily Sisson's first marathon since dropping out of the Olympic trials in 2020. And remember, she was supposed to run New York last fall, had an injury, couldn't do it. But she's had, you know, she's had decent success this year. I mean, she did break the American record in the half marathon back in May, 67-11 in Indianapolis. Then I think she, you know, there's been some articles about her training recently. It hasn't been totally smooth for her, but then she comes in and the US 20K champs in September and runs 65-35. She's only about six seconds behind Kira D'Amato, and Kira D'Amato just ran 221 in Berlin in what wasn't a great day for D'Amato. So that tells us that she, Emily Sisson's pretty fit. There was an article in Runners World that's saying, you know, she's not hyping up any sort of American record attempt or anything like that. But sounds like she's going to try to go out probably around 220 pace, I would guess. And then if things go faster and, you know, she's feeling good, she can pick it up from there. But she is, as Robert has told us many times on this podcast, uh, someone that her coach, Ray Tracy, has thought would have a big talent for the marathon for a long time, 2015, he was telling Robert she was made for this event. She ran 223 in her debut in London in 2019. I'm not sure if she had the super shoes at that. Did New Balance have super shoes at that point? But clearly, 67, 11 and a half. She's got p- potential in this event. What are you guys hoping for, expecting from Emily Sisson this weekend? I should also note it's important this is a flat course. She really struggled on the hills in Atlanta, but London's flat. She ran well there. So. I think this makes this is why she should do Chicago over New York because she's going to have more success in a course like this. Well, I was hoping for an American record, but I don't think that's going to happen since she's not hiding it up. So I'm expecting a PB and a fast time. In 2.23 in her debut, that needs to go. Weather looks good. And, you know, and the Americans have run under. Oh, I got the answer here. One, two. Only four Americans have run under 221. I think that would be a good goal for her to break 221. Only two have broken 220, but Kira D'Amato didn't cast her. Sarah Hall, Jordan Say. If Jordan Say was able to run 220.57 in the pre, no, that was 2017, so she did have shoes, you would think so, Sam would be able to do it. Well, wait a second. Jordan Say was a huge marathon talent. Just because she kind of fell off the face of the earth doesn't mean that. 
You should say, oh, if Hisei can do it. Hisei was a great marathoner. She just was only a great marathoner for a couple of years. Hisei is a natural-born marathoner. I keep hearing about this about Sisson. I've seen good results, but nothing crazy. But the, 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 the game is changing. It's running away from these U.S. women. And the men, too. Maybe it ran away from the men a long time ago. I think the American record, maybe it shouldn't be her goal, but that's what I want to see her going after. We need to get way more women under 220. So maybe you start at 221, but sorry, 221 is not going to put you competitive in many races. No, granted, last year Chicago would have, but I hope she goes out and goes sub 220. I think she's got the talent. I think the game has changed. I think that needs to be the expectation. All right, we'll have more on Chicago at the end of the week. Friday 15. That's our supporters only podcast. So to get that in your podcast feed every week, you got to go to let'srun.com slash subscribe. Join our supporters club. You'll get the bonus podcast. You'll get access to all of our articles and discounts on shoes. It really, it pays for itself. If you're a runner and you, you buy a pair of running shoes a few times a year, the discounts alone will make this worth it. But then you get a podcast on top of it where we preview basically whatever is going on in the running world that weekend. I'm biased, but I think it's a sound investment. I'll mention it briefly. The Twin Cities Marathon was this week, past weekend. Held in conjunction that was also the 10-miler, which was the USATF 10-mile championships. I think, well, two of these names, two names to watch. One that people are already aware of. The other's establishing herself on the roads this year. But your winners were Fiona O'Keefe and three time in a row U.S. steeplechase champion, if I'm not mistaken, Hillary Bohr steps up, moves up to 10 miles and takes this down. Both set course records, not American records, but course records. And I'm impressed. Fiona O'Keefe, she ran, I could look it up, 67 something in her half marathon debut. I think she's made for the long distances. This shows it. You know, she tried to run the 5K at the track trials, which is interesting. Why didn't she run the 10K? But so this just sort of validates. Look out for her on the roads. She's in the new Puma training group, coached by Alistair Craig. So glad to see her establishing herself because she wasn't that great of a collegiate runner. And Hillary Bohr from steeplechase to 10 mile. It's probably crazy to think, oh, the marathon's in the future for him. But, I mean, this guy made the final Worlds this year. Anyone else surprised he won this thing? Not totally surprised. He he was third in the U.S. 15K champs earlier this year. But I, th- I think, to me, the more interesting story is, this is why sports impossible to promote. Remember, Vor was a guy who had a spot in the Diamond League final locked up at Worlds. But even then, he said, I'm not sure I'm going to do it. I thought, what else is he going to do? Well, took his break, got ready, picked up $12,000 here. He wasn't going to get $12,000 in the final because he would have had to finish second there. And he's not the only one to do this. And I'm putting this in the week that was. But, but to publish this online, Eilish McColgan, supposed to make her debut at the London Marathon, pulls out because she can't fuel properly. She sets a British record in the 10K this weekend. Tamara Tola, the world champion of the marathon, he was going to run London. 
August 12th, he says, I haven't been able to start training yet. Not ready to go. He won a half marathon this weekend at 59.42. I'm not criticizing them. Uh, the one that's the most troubling is Boer. Like, I would like to see the Diamond Final be a big deal. But it makes sense financially. And if you don't control the purse strings, you can't control the people who are going to race. But the other ones... The other ones would have made more running London, I'm sure, than what they made this weekend. Oh, sure. But I, I don't think... If you can't fuel properly, it's your debut. And, you know, I, I totally understand why McColgan just wouldn't wait till March to make the money. And for Temertola, he probably could have... You know, he has seven weeks. He's not training full time. He could fake it and get in decent shape. But let's be honest, normally 5942 is not going to be fast enough to be competitive in London nowadays. So he's not in full marathon shape. He gets beat. He's just worn out. No, I think it's right to get it right. If, if you're not ready to go, I, I respect that. I, I don't think, and you actually make my point, John, he would have made more money for London. So there's no reason he skipped London to go to a lesser race. Whereas in the case right. of Tony Bore, he did skip a more prestigious race to go to a lesser race because of the money. Well, you you assume that. Who assumes he, you're assuming he's going to win the race? Him winning the ten mile champs wasn't a given either. Fair enough. By the way, Fiona Keith got twenty two thousand dollars because she won the battle of the sexes. We need to do some. We need to run the numbers on these battle of the sexes. I feel like the women win them more often than the men, but. You would think, I always think, oh, on paper, the men should have an advantage because they're running the people down from behind. I don't know. It just feels like whenever I see these equalizer things, it's always the women winning it these days. That $22,000, that's 44% of what you get for winning the World Marathon Majors, people. Just trying to give you guys a little perspective. That's what, what I did on the Friday 15. That's what I do here. And it would be interesting to look at, John. But now with non binary, I think we talked about this a little bit, getting equal prize money in a lot of the New York Roadrunner events and stuff. It's ridiculous. Someone's gender shouldn't be involved with sport. It's their sex. But it's another opportunity. Essentially, it favors biological males again. So if we're throwing the, the ladies some cash to make it equal with the equalizer, I'm all for it. That does raise an interesting point. With non-binary runners just being so popular nowadays and everybody demanding their inclusion. When we have the battle of the sexes, where do the non-binary runners start in between? Like you'll short the women first, then the non-binaries go or whatever. Well, I'm not sure if you're aware of the fact that Flagstaff this weekend, there was a non-binary division of the Pride 5000 put on by Nikki Hiltz. She also is the week that was. And the prize money was the same. $2,000 for first. 1500 for second, 1000 for third. Please guess the winning time for the non-binary 5000 at Flagstaff. This is the home of U.S. Distance Running, the birthplace of Let's Run.com. This place is full of professional runners. You had an Olympic steeplechaser who got fifth on the men's side win it. Oh, I think I saw this. I think it's like 21 minutes. Nothing gets by Wilson Johnson, folks. Twenty-one thirty-six. All right. Well, in, in this case, you can at least say like Nikki Hiltz is themselves non-binary. So if they want to have a non-binary division and they pay them equal money, I'm not really going to get too hot bothered about this. If the New York City Marathon starts paying 
in which they're not going to pay in the New York City Marathon non-binary the same. But that's when it starts getting ridiculous, when it's like these major races. But yes, if it's a race specifically to raise money for at-risk LGBTQ youth, I don't really have an issue with this. Wait, John, I totally agree with what you're saying about Nikki. People can put on races and give money to whatever they want to. Right. But the New York City Marathon, John, the NYRR for their non-major races now has equal price money for non-binary. At first, it was New York City Runs that did it. And people are like, oh, the New York City Roadrunners, they won't do this. They did it very quietly. No announcement. But you said they won't do it for the marathon. Why not? If this is something they believe in, why shouldn't they do it at the biggest stage? Or is it just sort of... Because they're going to have to pay out another $100,000 or they take symbolism the money. If they then do... Slash them in. If you believe it should... For one race, why not do it for all races? Well, that's my... All right, that I would be... If they do that, that's a, that would be ridiculous. If they believe it's a societal thing, it's that important to do it, why shouldn't you do it for all races? I mean, they, the frame... Frankly, they probably shouldn't be doing it for these lower races either, but the money is not as significant as it is at the pro level. How someone identifies dresses, gender has no, no place in sport. I don't, I don't see the need for gender in sport, especially, I think, youth kids up to age 10, it should all be one sex, then divide by sex. But if you want to view a... Fine, is running a fun run or is it a competitive outlet? If it's just fun runs and we're just having different criteria for... I don't know. Like, I, I just don't see the need for it at all. But if a race wants to do it, they raise the money, they can do what they want with it. But it's just silly to me. Because non-binary runners, the argument stays the same. If, it, if it's a philosophical argument that they deserve equal prize money, they, then that argument holds in the New York City Marathon, John. It's just, don't just do it in some lesser race. If, if that's what you believe. Or if it's just more like, hey, we want people to be included but why wouldn't you want them to be included in your other race i'm just pushing the logic to the it's extreme i i, I get what you're saying yeah look this all ties in together they do not view elite running as a real, real sport worthy of exalting athletes and promoting them as an elite sporting competition they view them as charity cases and you know let's just hand out 45 which is flush 4500 down the toilet and fly staff last weekend for no reason. And if you're running, if you're raising money, John, for these, for these, John, if you're raising money, this, this is the argument of me. Hey, if you're really raising money for charity, why are you giving any money to the pros? Why are you giving any money to the pros? They had four, forty-five, nine, thirteen thousand five hundred dollars for a road race that only had a couple hundred people in it in person. Maybe there's people virtually. So get rid of the pro division entirely and just give it to the charity. They can run the race how they want. It's Nikki's race. I don't really care if she like. They can they can do whatever they want in terms of how they pay out the money. I think if she slipped in there by accident, I'm sorry, but they started the race. They they can choose to distribute the money however they want. It's that's up to them. If anyone can put on a race, or I guess anyone can, but Nikki wants to put on a race with equal prize money. They've earned the right. Interesting that what division Nikki would run in. But this shows to me, right? Because if, if there are separate divisions or set with separate races, I still contend most of the time Nikki would want to compete against the females. Maybe I'm wrong. But the thing with running is that it's all at once. Like everybody can compete at once. 
identify how they want. I don't know why we need to give awards based on how people identify, but in other sports, you can't do that, right? There's a one team playing another team divided by sex. So that gets back to the free expression of running. Why are you going to have a world marathon major in China if free expression is so important? But enough of this stuff. Can we like turn to NCAA cross country or something? Yes. Let's talk about Caitlin Tui. She made her season debut on Friday at the Joe Piani Notre Dame Invitational and won in convincing fashion. 1550 for the 5K course, course record. And she blew away Mosi Chellengott, who has finished first and second at the last two NCAA cross country championships by 12 seconds. Pretty much all of that came over the final kilometer. So we had Caitlin Tui of North Carolina State as our NCAA favorite when we released our previews earlier that week. And so far, she's living up to it. We still got six weeks until NCAAs. But she looked very impressive in this race. And her NC State team also got the win in the team competition over New Mexico and Alabama. You guys have any thoughts on Caitlin Tui? Keep me to sign off for her an NIL deal with my t-shirt. Well, I have a two and an E next to it. One of the most brilliant ideas I've ever had. It's good as you're running well. I'd love to see the team phenoms living up to the height. Maybe she can become the female Grant Fisher. Well, what about this, Robert? Uh, two, you have two E, or maybe you could just have two E's on the shirt. It says E-E, and then people have to do the little... Maybe that's too next, next, next level, but I kind of like that. Yeah, I guess the one other thing, just team race-wise, is NC State and, North, and New Mexico, they were my one-two in our preseason rankings. And NC State handled them 55 to 68. But New Mexico, they had seven women in before NC State's number five, which I thought was really impressive pack running. Though it's worth noting NC State didn't run Caitlin, sorry, Kelsey Camille, who was that top finisher at NCAA Cross last year. And she may be a little banged up. I think they're being, I think they're just being careful. She had a foot injury in the spring and didn't run. So Lori Hennis, who's the NC State coach, said that. She's probably not going to race a ton in cross country. They're not going to throw her out there a lot. But they have they are optimistic she'll be ready for the big races. So maybe ACCs and NCAA's. So if you add Kelsey Camille into that mix and she's what she was last year, NC State pulls further away. But winning without her was a good sign for them because it shows that if she's not ready to go at NCAA's, they can still win. But it was also only it was 13 points. So 55-68. It's not super, super tight, but it's tight enough to think that maybe NC State is could be vulnerable later in the season. So, And Alabama also ran really well for third. That was a big thing. They have a Kenyan freshman, Hilda Olamomoye. Sorry. Hilda Olamomoye. Olamomoye. Uh, Olamomoye. Sorry. Who was third right behind Chalangot in this race. So to do that and step in immediately, now they've got two low sticks. Uh, they could be a podium team this year, Alabama. I'm excited to say across. It's in Oklahoma, at Oklahoma State this year. John's never been there. I used to live in Oklahoma City. Folks, you should take the family there. John, I've already got our home. We're going a day early this year so we can do a day at the Cowboy National Cowboy Museum and the Oklahoma City Bombing Museum. So if you guys live in the Midwest or you want a weekend trip, take your family there so we can before Thanksgiving. 
lots to do. It's very cheap there. Get, I remember thinking the highway is amazing. It's like six lanes. You could drive like 100 miles an hour on the way to rush hour and work. So at least it was 25 years ago when I lived there. So that should be good. But let's turn to finally another story from the college ranks that's really disturbing. And I've been waiting for this to hit the papers for quite some time. I mean, some of it had already been in the papers, but not all of it. It's still not all out there. But David Woods, friend of what's wrong for the right for the Indy Star, has just published a story this morning about the scandal at Huntington University. This is an NIA Christian school in Indiana, and it's really disgusting. This is, I think it was David that actually described it to me as, in his mind, he'd never seen anything like this. He's like, this reminds me of the Alberto Salazar, Jerry Sandusky, and Larry Nasser case all involved in one. So what had already been out there was Nick Johnson, who was the coach of Huntington, had taken an underage girl. He'd written an underage girl's parents. So this girl must have been a good runner if he's writing her and saying, hey, I'm the University of Oregon coach. We want to take your daughter on a recruiting trip takes the daughter on a recruiting trip to Oregon, but they don't go on a recruiting trip. They just stay in a hotel, take showers together. She says in an affidavit that he penetrated her and stuff like that. And then he is fired from that job and, and banned for life from that. But the story that came out today is two runner other, these are two runners on the team alleged that he slept with them. One of them alleged that he raped them. They claim that the wife, Warren Johnson, who's a U.S., uh, world championship team member used to be part of the Oregon track club um, and is now taken over the coach. So they fired the, the husband and then let him, let the wife just take over the team. So he's still there, even though he banned from safe sport. Um, the new allegations are these two women says that he raped them, that he gave them performance enhancing drugs. It sounds like he got a lot of stuff from Alberto Salazar because there's L-carnitine references and they're not really sure what they were getting. So this is at the NAIA level. These two women who are really, really good, they're like, our marks should be invalidated. We don't know what he gave him. So if we're shooting people up with L-carnitine at the NAIA level, my God, what is happening at the Division One level? Well, we don't know that. This is a really screwed up situation, Robert. Just because this one person has been injecting them or forcing them to take pills that they don't even know what's in them, that doesn't necessarily mean there's some huge epidemic at the Division One level. What it is to me is it seemed like there was something rotten here for a few years and the university didn't really do much about it. And now they're filing a civil suit. These two runners who bravely spoke out, Hannah Stoffel and Emma Wilson, they filed a lawsuit on Friday and this sort of now it's finally coming out. Just the, I mean, how sickening this stuff has been going on, what Nick Johnson's been doing on while he's been in charge of this program and, even now, you know he's not directly coaching them, but he's if, you know the pro- athletes from the program would still come over to their house because his wife is the coach. It's just it's ve- it's all very very troubling stuff. One thing this story is clear about: we've already had this rule. Let's run. If you're not a masseuse, don't be massaging your athletes. Period. Alberto shouldn't have done it. Nick shouldn't have done it. But what we knew this is crazy. I've had people come and calling me about this. One of Nick's friends. Called me and tried to. It's not what you've heard, Robert. And then he basically admitted, and Nick's admitted that he slept with two girls. He's pled guilty and to a felony for taking the minor across state lines. Although I think he did not admit to the sexual um, conduct with her, but the minor, only with the adults. 
who were on his team, though. So that's a huge thing. And then there's allegations that the wife didn't really need to report this, even if it's consensual. I, I don't know, man. This is this is crazy. But you know, I've had um, I, I've had uh, athletes call me say they're not victims here. I've had mothers call me say my daughter's not a victim. When I when I'm reading police reports indicating, hey. I, I think you are a victim. If somebody, I don't have a daughter, but if some adult takes my 17-year-old to Oregon and showers with them, I think my daughter's a victim whether she wanted to go or not. And that's sick. And this guy, though, it's like a cult is what I've been described. I mean, they just got the U.S. 1,500-meter record holder or 1,600-meter record holder. She was supposed to go to Colorado. She turned that down in the middle of summer and decides, I want to run for Warren Johnson. Crazy story. Yeah, great reporting by David Woods. I mean, like, if half this shit is true, I mean, some of these are obviously allegations, just disgusting. Then the doping angle, the abuse, doing this shit in the name of God, allegedly. What's crazy to me is is they don't think that they're victims. Robert. Robert. They are evicted. They're following a lawsuit right now. A, a this lot is of in the federal people. court. People have called me and I said, okay, I'll- Robert, because people deal with trauma in different ways. So let's not blame someone who was abused, allegedly abused, or whatever. They can decide or process that. You don't know how you're going to say, maybe you don't want to go to your wife saying, I'm a victim. That's fine. But it puts me in a difficult spot when I have these people say, hey, delete this message board post. I'm like, I don't want to cover up for this dude. Are you kidding me? So threads like this are very difficult for us because I don't know, at some point, you know, obviously there's more now than just, there's a lawsuit out there sort of stuff, but if you've got any ideas how to moderate this stuff, we're always looking for ways to improve the forums, but this article's behind a paywall. Someone needs to summarize it outside of a paywall because, or everyone, you could pay a dollar and read it. Just great reporting with David Woods. He does a great job. Um, and shows, you know, our sport, all sports. Big report came out yesterday in U.S. soccer. Just sexual abuse between coaches and athletes. It's a pretty widespread problem, I think we're finding. And just be vigilant, people. And if you're a coach, just be careful. Don't put yourself in vulnerable situations. Well, I mean, he's doing more than that. It's not no, just like- I don't. I don't mean that, but I just mean, if you're a coach, I think you want to go above uh, that someone could misinterpret or something because clearly this guy pled guilty to something. I think so. I'm going to just keep saying allegations, but I'm just saying if you're an above court, don't be massaging athletes. Don't be doing anything. Don't like it's just sick and disgusting. I'm just saying. I don't know. You, you just. Yeah, no, at some point, obviously, you're doing horrific, horrendous things. But I think now as a coach, you need to err on the other side just so people don't think about something about you, even if you're a perfectly good dude or a gal or whatever you are. You don't want people thinking the, the wrong thing about you. Have guidelines in place so everybody knows that you run your program above board. But this this is like 18 levels below board. Like, holy F. If, 
right, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. Like we said earlier in the show, come back on Friday for our preview of the 2022 Bank of America Chicago Marathon. If you haven't joined the Supporters Club, please do so. That's the only way to get the Friday 15 preview podcast. Let's Run.com slash subscribe. We'll talk about Connor Mance, Emily Sisson, the rest of the elite field in great detail. All that stuff coming later this week. Disappointing, John. I thought we were going to talk about Kate Middleton, her running ability, Tiger Woods. A lot of stuff I learned this week. I guess we'll save that for the Friday 15th. I don't even know where you're going with those angles. So I don't even know how to respond well then. I Google's got me. This is why Kate Middleton won't run the London Marathon. Says she's a great runner. Her brother-in-law is a famous rugby player, John. He says she could run, run, run like no tomorrow. Is Kate being deprived? Could Kate challenge not Paula Radcliffe's record? But John, just because of how she was born, well, I guess she wasn't born this way. She chose to marry into it. But is it fair? She can't compete like the rest of us, John, because of her um, circumstances. I'm already losing interest in this conversation, so I think it's probably better you didn't bring her up. I don't know where you're going with the Tiger Woods thing either. But He's a cross-country runner in college, high school, John. Really? Okay, we'll go with the Tiger right now. Did you know his dad said that Tiger Woods could have beaten Michael Johnson at 400 meters if he'd stuck with the 400? <laughs> no. I mean, his dad... <laughs> Had a lot of faith in Tiger's ability. And I know the golf stuff all came true, but I'm telling you right now, that's there's no way that would have happened. A golfer more athletic than base America, one of America's greatest other track and field athletes. Yeah, I don't think so. All right. That's going to do it. We'll be back on Friday for the Friday 15. Talk to you then. Remember, you can train with the pros and Elliptigo and Roll Recovery are proving it with the Train Like the Pros giveaway with over $3,500 in prizes, this is your opportunity to win Elliptigo 8C, the go-to cross-training tool used by thousands of current and former runners, along with Roll Recovery's premier sports recovery tools, including their new R1 percussion device. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Roll Recovery has expanded beyond the rollers. Check out the giveaway. Check out the latest in recovery. Link in the show notes.